0: Good morning, everybody. Woo. We have some readings the last few weeks. I come back from sabbatical and y'all line up all of the hardest-hitting passages. I know y'all did that on purpose. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. The latest research in Travis County shows us that 12% of our population are living under the poverty line. You know, just in Austin and Travis County. Uh, that same data shows that poverty tracks disproportionately along certain ethnic, racial, gender, um, and even age lines. For instance, 70% of children living in poverty in Austin are black or Hispanic. 70%. 64% live with a single parent. Most of our homeless live with mental health challenges, disabilities, their domestic abuse survivors, or their families with children. And this is often, sometimes, the, only the poor that we can see. There is so much more poverty that maybe we can't see that statistics somehow don't tell the story of as well. So what does this have to do with our readings? Why am I laying on these uh, these hard statistics of the reality that we live in in our community? What, what does this have to do with our readings? The scriptures this morning uh, very bluntly, very clearly witness to a God who loves the poor. He loves the poor. And St. Oscar Romero says... So you say you love the poor, name them. So we're naming our poor. Naming the poor among us, for us, I think especially in the liturgy, is like reading a fifth sacred text. That all of the other texts can then take on flesh and place and proximity to our lives. That God and the Holy Spirit help us to discern the poor among us. Poverty is such a complex condition. It's not any just one thing. It's a complex condition. It's certainly a social and economic condition that we, like that's plainly most of the poor that we're talking about. But ultimately, it concerns so much more, and at the heart of it, we find a human being who is is suffering in some way that God dearly loves. That's why we read about the poor and God's heart for it, because it is a person made in the image of God in a certain condition, in certain plight, in certain suffering that God sees and he loves them, and he is concerned about it. Poverty is also not someone's fate. Can we just dispel the myth that poverty is someone's fate? It is not. It is the result, plainly, of sinful and unjust practices and people and power and systems that were never developed or designed ever with the intention of benefiting certain people. It is not sort of accidental, like, whoops, we got poor people. No, this is the result of sinful things. And our God, look, y'all, I'm just preaching what the scriptures are given to us, okay? And our God has something to say about this. Did you hear him? In Amos 8, last week, we just back up? Because there was some heavy-hitting stuff last week. Amos 8, verse 4 through 6, this is from the message. It's kind of fresh and hip and cool and sounds cool. Listen to this. It hits me. Listen to this, the message says. You who walk all over the week, you who treat poor people as less than nothing, you who exploit the poor, using them, and then when they're all used up, you discard them. God swears, in verse 7, I'm keeping track of every last sin. I'll turn your parties into funerals and make every song you sing a dirge. That's a, that's a challenging passage right there. And Check this out in, in Amos 6, this morning we read this, uh, verses 5 and 6. Woe to those who live in luxury and expect everyone else to serve them. Woe to those who live live only for today, indifferent to the fate of others. But here's what's really coming. A forced march into exile. St. Paul, if that wasn't enough. He comes at us again in his letter letter to Timothy, his protege, giving uh, charges to the rich in verse 17 not to be haughty but to set their hopes on god to do good to be rich in good works be generous and ready to share jesus's parable in luke 16 is just as challenging for the wealthy it's all sort of the same this is why these readings are paired up It's so that we don't miss the point this is amplified in scripture the parable in luke 16 um talks about a rich man who goes unnamed interestingly enough and a poor man who is named, his name is Lazarus. Which is quite the opposite of how these stories go in our society, isn't it? they usually the poor who are unnamed. And the rich, we, all, we know all their names. We know their first and last names. Some of us know their middle names. This is quite the opposite of how this usually goes. And after his death, the rich man is begging for mercy in torment. But notice he is still asking the poor to run his errands. a touch of water to relieve his tongue, or even sending uh, the poor to warn his family of this fate. Even in his torment, that nameless rich man is still blind to his expectations about how the poor ought to serve his comforts, how to serve him. They exist for his own sake. That pathology of the rich. But they are so blind that even if one was to raise, be raised from the dead and warn us, warn his family, warn others, that he, they would not believe. Alluding to Jesus' own resurrection. I don't have to say that, right? We all sort of saw God, loud and clear, right? That's what he's talking about. And remember that any time that Jesus gives a parable, when he tells a story of a parable, remember I told you guys this last week, whenever Jesus gives us a parable, he is revealing something about himself. What is this revealing about him? Who he is? This is the same God amos speaks of it's not different gods it's not different people this is the same god telling this parable that amos is speaking of who sees the sins of the rich and comes to the aid of the poor again and again after all this is the one think of contemplate jesus for a second here that's all we're doing this morning so like let's do that contemplate him he is the one who took on the flesh and blood of the poor in his own incarnation coming from a backwater town of Nazareth of mixed race, discriminated against sort of um, unclean, impure people. The Galileans he's associated with. What does it mean that Christ was incarnate not as a wealthy king at the center of power, but dwells and identifies with the poor? What does that say about who God is? It's not like the way we were born to a you know a family or sort of to a place or a position in society and like well i didn't have anything to do with this this there was intention behind uh, the incarnation of god in jesus christ every aspect of it he chose to be incarnate in that place in that condition what does that say about him that he identifies with the poor. What does it say about him that he was so outspoken in his earthly ministry, speaking up and challenging in, in, injustice and idolatry everywhere he bumped into it? He was the one who every time he encountered a rich or wealthy person would challenge them or send them away empty-handed. What does it say about him that he could not be bought by wealth or temptation of power and could not be overcome even with Violence, the tools of the world, right? Seems like God has a sort of bias, a sort of preference, a sort of leaning, a priority for the poor. Everything we know about him backs this up. Like sort of the last will be first sort of thing, right? You hear that? You see that? This is what um, churches in the the, uh, most shaped by poverty in Latin America call God's preferential option for the poor. You see this in it works like by Gustavo Gutierrez, A Theology of Liberation, etc. Um, or Roberto Guizetta has a, a great book, Caminemos con Jesus. You see this in sort of the impoverished Latin American witness, the God's preferential option for the poor. And it honestly, it scares like rich, wealthy white people. But listen, it's who Jesus is and it's what God's up to. It's a way of describing the way he has this preference for the poor. He cares for them. It describes the story that we find throughout scripture of a God who so loves all equally that he must stand with the poor. Wait, how is that? He must take a side, and he does with the poor. His love is so non-exclusive. His love is so gratuitous and over the top that he has a preference for the weak and the impoverished and the vulnerable. God does show me where he doesn't this is all of the god that we have been revealed to in scripture here's a simple illustration if this is i've been wrestling with this this, this i found this illustration pretty helpful i have a, a teenage son mateo i hope he's not here he couldn't be here this morning so i can pick on him that's part of the rules you don't show up at church is he here oh <laughs> brother i thought he maybe slept he had a late night last night good for you my man oh, i'm so proud of you Hey, can I, can I use you in an example? It's a hypothetical. It would never happen. It's just a hypothetical. All right. It's good. It'll, it's good. It doesn't make you look good, but it's a hypothetical. Here we go. If my teenage son, and, uh, and Mateo, and my toddler daughter, Elliot, got into a fight, because I love them both equally, I would be compelled to stand with Elliot and obstruct the violence of the fight that might be coming from her elder brother. You see that? I would be compelled out of equal love for both to protect the weaker. Regardless of what started the fight or what the fight was about, the parent who loves both children would need to break them up, separate them, and obstruct the violence that would be inflicted on the weaker. To stay out of it, Mateo might argue, Dad, you need to stay out of our business. It would only benefit the stronger, wouldn't it? It would be experienced as a a sort of uh, an endorsement of what the stronger was doing, and it would be experienced as abandonment to the weaker, wouldn't it? To stay out of it. Instead, by separating them, by obstructing the fight, by bringing peace and separation, there is an act of love right in the midst of that conflict. Though one may experience that act of love as judgment, the other experiences it as mercy, as preference, even as bias. Dad, why are you on her side of this? Besides the fact that she might be my favorite, she's cute and she's weaker. She's not my favorite. I love you, Mateo. I have six favorites. The love of the parent is for both. That's why we act like that. Our love for our kids in that sort of situation is equal, right? But it is not neutral. Those are not the same things. It prefers the defense of the weak. We all tracking? You see what I'm saying here? This, this is really helpful for me as I look at Scripture and try to understand a God who seems to be picking on the rich a whole lot and defending and protecting the weak a great deal his love for us is profoundly universal let me be clear about this profoundly universal and indiscriminate his love for us but it does not stand idly by staying out of social issues god stay in your spiritual lane you, what does this have to concern you stay out of politics god stay out of war stay out of our my economic life stay out of my budget Stay out of my plans. Stay out of it. Things that are our business. God does not stand idly by, but he is concerned with why? Because he is fiercely with those. Uh, he is fiercely concerned with those who suffer because of those decisions. And because the salvation of God is comprehensive and not sort of just in our hearts or spiritual, yes, our souls are involved, but all of ourselves, our human beings, Humanity and all of creation is involved in God's saving work. Because God's salvation is comprehensive in this way. It means that our whole self, all of creation, involves repentance wherever we find ourselves picking on a weaker that God cares about. Wherever we find ourselves making decisions that exploit the poor, that stand on their backs, that have expectations of others to serve our good in disproportionate ways. Yes, it involves repentance. Yes, it involves the forgiveness of sins, but it also involves witness and right making, making things right. It involves a witness of justice in our lives and in the world. Friends, we don't have to be Christians that are sort of just internal Christians that shouldn't get involved in things in the world. Can I just tell you why? Because that is nothing like the person of Jesus that we're following. He was so involved in things, he was crucified. I don't know any other way around it. You don't have to be some sort of siloed Christian. You can be a whole human being in a community with a witness that looks like God's preferential option for the poor. Empowered by a spirit with a witness with a testimony that he in the end is coming to make all things right. The incarnate God, he comes to dwell. Identify with. Live among and bring good news to the poor. You remember when he began his ministry and he stood up in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and he picked up the scroll of Isaiah? That's what this was about. That's what he was reading. Good news to the poor. Setting free the oppressed, sight to the blind. You remember this? It's even in his mother's song. Y'all think that you should read Mary's song. Talk about toppling powers and sending people away empty-handed and being good news to the poor and to the weak. We pray this every day in morning prayer. Go go spend some time with Mary, and you'll see this. God comes to deliver the poor and dismantle and judge those people and powers that make the poor and the conditions around them. And it is out of a fierce love for all people that God himself is found glorified in his own suffering and death on a cross. Think of that. It wasn't a gold throne that he ascended to, but it was a cross stripped bare beaten, spat on, insulted, cast out of the city gates, totally set out and scorned as other, rejected, that we find the very place of his glorification. This is the God that we follow, the God we serve. He identifies with the rejected and with the poor. He died among thieves. Think of him. And it's why he continues to be To choose to be revealed in humble circumstances. Even things like bread and wine. We could come up with something fancier. But he has chosen these humble materials that are accessible to us to reveal himself. It's the same with the poor. He chooses to reveal himself among the poor. Among the widow. Among the orphan. Around those who are in need. If you want to find Jesus, if you want to be near his presence, you're going to find him among those poor. That's what he's promised. It's no surprise then that he is with the broken bodies. Even those who are sick and unable to come to church with us. Why do we do this live stream? Not to help out the rich and the able, but actually because we care about those people who can't be there. There's a preferential option for the poor even in our live stream, y'all. Because we want to lean in as a church community with the people where Jesus is most near, who he cares about. Those broken bodies, the impoverished, those for which society is not designed to benefit. And in fact, Jesus turns this completely upside down. Do you remember Matthew 5, the Beatitudes? In his kingdom, these are the very people who are blessed, Jesus calls them. So what about the rich then? We understand God's heart about the poor. What about the rich, the powerful, the privileged? What do they do with their condition? Look, it's not my fault I'm filthy rich. That would be nice to say, wouldn't it be? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. If you read scripture, I don't know if that would be nice to say. Whether it's money or social station or privilege that race or gender or access to education has unjustly afforded you, whatever situation you find yourself in with wealth we must emulate the Lord. We must actually follow Jesus in that wealth who emptied himself, taking on the form of a a servant, Philippians 2 tells us, for our sake. And again, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you, me, we might become rich. Friends, I know this is not... uh, an easy word right to swallow i get that this is a challenging word it's meant to be uncomfortable for us it's meant to be a challenge but this is such a a helpful reminder of why it is we give joyfully sometimes not joyfully but because we know that jesus is in this this is his heart and we want to follow him even in our wealth we give it away we give it away not because we need less money it's usually never the case But because the God who loves the poor is in that act of generosity with us. We participate, partner with him. We share in his heart. We are a community shaped not by unjust systems or personal greed or sinful structures that our society puts upon us. We are shaped by a God whose scandalous generosity has made us rich. Right? Amen? Somebody give me an amen about that right? Like, we may, maybe we should go over this again. We are not shaped by those outside forces. We're shaped by a cruciform God who sacrificed himself for our sake. How can we then, who live in spiritual poverty, come to this table expecting God's generosity and then go out into the world with no intention of extending this to others? Come on in, kids. Just in time for the landing. I'm going to stick it. How can we come to this table and expect God's generosity and not extend it to others? We give to the poor. We tithe to the church as a community. We give to those most in need, even among us. We serve one another in our weakness. We support, for instance, the St. Louis house, which takes in battered wives and children fleeing abusive and poverty stricken situations. We support Red Oak Hope, these rock stars rescuing women from human trafficking. We support local educators, especially in poor districts, that for some reason is not well-funded. I still don't understand why our schools are not well-funded. We advocate. We speak up. We make some good trouble about it because it's unjust, because God cares about these kids. We, as parents, we commit to our children. We stay faithful. We do what we can to provide for them because we don't want to inflict a poverty, uh, impoverished situation on our children. We're trying to be good stewards of the things that we have as parents, as aunts and uncles, Brothers and sisters. And in the same breath of doing everything we can to be generous, we are outspoken about those conditions and sinful powers that make all of that generosity and all of that that sort of uh, cruciform action like Jesus, all of the things that make that necessary, the reasons we have to do that, we speak up about those unjust things in the same breath. Why is this? Not because we're like, people do this it's it's ridiculous but like sort of the, this bifurcation of like are you into social justice or are you just like born again or something i i say like that's all that doesn't make any sense to me because when you look at the person of jesus you see a whole person whose life teaching the announcement to the kingdom is comprehensive and he's raising souls and bodies and he's making all things new making all things you don't have to decide between the two you just can actually dismiss both and follow jesus follow his lead that's why we do these things because this is what God is up to. So I want to ask you this morning, wherever you are in your life, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, maybe you're a professional like my sister who works at a mortgage company and advocates for those people who are being overlooked in the home loan process. Where is the space that you have to look out for the poor, to look out for the weak, and to follow Jesus precisely in those spaces? You don't have to be like a rock star leading some sort of nonprofit. You can be exactly where you are looking for and discerning, Jesus, where are the poor among us? And how can I be for them the way that you are for them, Lord? So take your life as you have it. Your work life, your home life, community life, your neighborhood. Where are the poor among you? Where are the poor among you? God is already at work there. You should join him. You should follow Jesus exactly where his providence has placed you in in your life. And you should listen for his invitation. Friends, let's take a moment right now to be quiet and invite the Holy Spirit to extend that invitation to us this morning. Amen. Mm